We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier, joined as always by my co-host, Nick Filato. Tonight, we are going to break down the Dave Gettleman, Joe Judge pressers. These would normally take place during the week of the Combine with no Combine. They took place virtually over Zoom. Some softball questions in my mind. I really was not a huge fan of some of the questions. No offense. I mean, they're doing the best they can, and they're trying to get ask questions they think that we'll have answers to. But I think sometimes if you actually challenge these guys and ask them football questions, X's and O stuff, you might be surprised what you hear. I mean, there have been times over the past 5, 10, 15 years where Bill Belichick has given nothing answers to reporters who ask the general crap like, what receiver are you going to go after? What do you think of this guy? Personnel stuff. And you ask him an in-depth X's and O's question, and he'll get really deep with you, and he'll talk about it for two minutes as long as he doesn't feel like it will reveal anything personnel-wise. And those are the type of questions I wanted to know about. But ultimately, we did learn some things. So tonight, we're going to talk about the key takeaways from that presser. And we're going to get to a lot of your questions that you guys left on iTunes because we've been promising that. We've been sidetracked by a lot of other things. The live Q&As we're doing at Locker Room. And for those of you who don't know, every Tuesday night at 8 p.m., you can join Nick and I for a live show on Locker Room. It's a new app. It's called the Locker Room app. I'm tweeting out a bunch, so if you want info on that, just head over to my Twitter. Nick's also retweeting those. You download the app, you join the Giants room, you click the microphone button, and it's literally like a live radio call-in show. It's a lot of fun. We've loved these first two episodes we've done. A lot of you have joined in. A few names that stand out that have been on the show that I want to give shout-outs to. Lucas, Dom, Victor, a bunch of guys who have been in here now twice. David, so... Definitely keep joining the show. Keep talking to us there. But tonight we're going to talk about this presser. So, Nick, let's start with you. We'll start with – let's break it down 
first with Judge and then we'll go to Gettleman. So start with Joe Judge. What was your, I guess, your key takeaway from that Joe Judge presser? I just like how he kind of came out initially and laid out what was going on with the coaching staff. And you kind of look at this coaching staff. You have Derek Dooley. You have Jeremy Pruitt. Those are both former University of Tennessee head coaches. Pruitt was just recently there. He was let go by the University of Tennessee. And they're bringing all of these SEC hard-nosed football guys, coaches who have been around football and coaches that are familiar with Judge. You bring in Rob Sale. He spoke highly of him. My boss over at Big Blue View asked specifically about Rob Sale. And Joe Judge went on a like a one- or two-minute just positive rant about his ability to teach. And that's kind of the overall theme of this Joe Judge era is can these coaches teach football? Not tell football players what to do, but actually teach. And according to Judge, he spoke very highly of Rob Zale's ability to teach. Also bringing Pat Flaherty back. I think that's going to really help the offensive and defensive lines. And just kind of getting more eyes on opposing game tape and what opposing teams like the Cowboys, the Skin, or the Washington football team, I should say, and the Philadelphia Eagles, what those coaching staffs are trying to do with their teams. I think the more eyes, the better. It shows kind of an open-minded approach and uh, not as narrow-minded, which I don't believe Joe Judge is. So that's something that I really liked from kind of the initial part of what Joe Judge was talking about, how he came in and explained the new roles, even for Freddie Kitchens, who is no longer the tight ends coach, that's Dooley. Now Freddie Kitchens will be a senior offensive analyst. So let's hope that he kind of helps Jason Garrett. And we see a little bit more of what we saw in that Cleveland Browns game and a little bit less of what we saw kind of through the other 15 games. Yeah, I think ultimately Nick nails it, nails, uh, you know, n- hits the nail on the head with this one. One of the key things I like about Joe Judge is the staff that he's built in his first season and now carried over. He lost Brett Bielma, a really talented coach who I think had a great impact on the Giants defense. What does he do? He comes out and he hires two more big-time SEC uh, coaches who have had big-time roles in the biggest conference in college football. That's super important to me because they got they rose to that role and even though it didn't work out at either school at Tennessee or wherever they were they rose to that role because of their ability to teach the game of football now they may have brought some interesting ideas that got them hired at the time and you know things don't work out for a variety of reasons you're coaching in the SEC you have to win football games and it's hard to do when you have Nick Saban over there and now you know down at LSU you have Ed Ogeron getting all the talent but those guys are great coaches and they can teach the game and now he just continues to build these a plus coaching staff with so the five, six, you know, four, three to six former head coaches, guys who have risen through the ranks for a reason. I love that. My key takeaway, though, not not as involved in the coaches. It was one potentially, you know, some may see it as a throwaway throwaway line, but for me, it resounded with me, and that was that he said, "This is a passing league." He acknowledged this is a passing league because when Dave Gettleman first got here. He kind of had a little bit of a different mindset, Gettleman. He said, I still believe the most important things you have to do are stop the run and run the football. And he says, I don't believe in positional value when it came to uh, Saquon Barkley. I don't believe in those arguments. And these were some of the things that he preached in 2018. Joe Judge doesn't, I never thought he would share those opinions because he's coming from New England, but he made it clear when he said, this is a passing league. And he says, you talk about the pass rush, it can never be more than one just player. I'm sorry, it can never be just uh never be just one player and he says obviously the most important thing you can do is have the quarterback have the pass rush have the receivers and have the coverage and 
These are the type of things I like to hear because I think you're so far behind in the NFL when you're not allocating almost every single major resource you have. Literally, I'm fine to saying every single major resource you have into stopping the pass and passing the football because you can stop the run with any resource. I mean, you can find guys on the wire who can play the nose tackle position. You can run the ball with guys like James Robinson coming out of nowhere as an undrafted free agent as long as you have a good offensive line blocking for him. But you can't find a quarterback anywhere. It's harder to find defensive backs who can cover. It's harder to find pass rushers. So I really like that. And I also, in that same paragraph that Joe Judge was talking about, it's a passing league. He also acknowledged that nothing really happens independently of each other. So he was complimenting the secondary for the success of the ability to kind of generate a pass rush despite the fact that Lorenzo Carter wasn't there and O'Shane Zimenez wasn't there. And it kind of just alludes to, hey, the defense is three levels, but they all work together so it's not necessarily obviously they have to upgrade the edge position but this is we're going to build the entire defense and not just solely focus on the edge maybe they're going to go and they're going to upgrade the secondary because if you enhance that secondary it's going to allow your edge rusher to have more time to get to the quarterback and that's kind of the stuff he was alluding to but I still think they're going to target edge because there's just kind of a dearth of talent right there at that specific position group yeah and not to mention a dearth of talent the Giants really are lacking for depth at the edge position. We said yeah. this last year when we broke down the podcast when David Mayo was lining up at edge. It was yeah. the most resounding evidence you need that they don't have any depth at this position. Now, it's not all their fault. Lorenzo Carter got hurt. Shane Zimenez got hurt. They had injuries. Everybody knows that. But ultimately, when you're firing up Jabal Sheard and David Mayo as your edges for a game, you know you're in trouble. And even when you have to move Blake Martinez out there, it's not that he can't do it. You don't want to have to move Blake out there. You want to be able to keep him in the middle. So, they certainly need to add depth there, and I think they're willing. Uh, they've acknowledged that. Anything else specific? I feel like Judges was less, a lot less telling than Gettleman's. I mean, we could talk about what he said about Evan Ingram. I don't know if that stood out to you. I mean, it, it's kind of stuff we already thought with Joe Judge. He's spoken highly of Evan Ingram in the past, and according to everybody who's in that locker room and everybody who speaks about Evan Ingram, it's the character is just through the roof. We just want the damn guy to catch the football. And <laughs> and uh, he didn't necessarily go too much into scheme, even though Joe Judge said that he was, you know, he evaluated both sides of the football and they're going to correct all the deficiencies with the offense and the defense and kind of come into 2021 better. But we just hope that we see kind of a better utilization of Evan Ingram. It's something that you and I have been pounding the table since Pat Shermer was there. We want to see him up to see more. We want to see him in space more. And uh, I, I wanted to ask you this, Dan, do you think just how high he spoke of Evan Ingram that there could be a possibility of them bringing him back? Uh, you mean beyond this season? Yes. So I think the Evan Ingram situation is really interesting. I think there might be a little bit of a disconnect between what we see on tape and what is actually going on in that locker room and the impact that he's making with his teammates, I guess. I mean, the production just simply wasn't there in 2020. I know he made the Pro Bowl, but it was not a productive season by any means in my mind for Evan Ingram. And he didn't do what he was supposed to do, which is be the number one playmaker on that offensive side of the ball when Saquon Barkley went down. I don't think he's a good fit for Jason Garrett's system. I don't think he's a good... I, like you know, like um, our boy Columbus said when he joined us on the last locker room, he's not really good at making those ninety degree cuts. He's not. That's not his game. He needs to be used on verticals and routes breaking toward the sideline, either up the field or toward the sideline. And so maybe they'll look for different ways to use him. And maybe Joe Judge is just saying this. I think again, the the deal with Ingram to me is I feel like they love that he's a hard worker. They love that he has the giant attitude they want. But ultimately, if he's not more productive in twenty twenty one, he's not coming back because. That's what it comes down to. You need to be productive. He can't really block that well. He doesn't have good hands. He's not strong at the catch point. He makes mental errors. He's not a great route runner. And so ultimately, 
these are things that I just don't know if can they can magically fix themselves in year five for a player. To me, I don't think they can. I've turned the page on Ingram personally. I I mean, I think he can be okay if they add some talent around him and they use him a little differently, but I've turned the page on him as a long-term fixture here. It's just been one of those fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, but it was fool me three times and now it's kind <laughs> of been fool me four times. But, you know, I'm, I'm really hoping for the kid, as every Giant fan is. And a lot of Giant fans aren't necessarily high on Evan Ingram, and they have every right not to be high on him. I mean, if Evan Ingram's not there, the Giants probably make the playoffs. I mean, I don't think that's a crazy statement to say. And, I mean, if you look at it in a vacuum with the with the drop against the Eagles, I mean, it's technically right, but then you also got to factor in that he did have an impact in other games, scoring the touchdown against Washington, which led to a win. He had a couple big plays against Cincinnati, which was a close game. So you don't want to kind of diminish that reality and all those facts that kind of are kind of baked into Evan Ingram. Maybe it's reasons why he ended up making the Pro Bowl, despite the fact that he only had one receiving touchdown. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. I and, mean, and it's more for George Kittle, Zach Ertz, and Dallas Goddard getting injured. Yeah. Be really and for some good. reason, no one had any clue what Robert Tunyon was doing over there in Green Bay. Or for some odd reason, I don't know what happened there with the Tunyon thing, but he clearly was better and more productive than Ingram last year. But I don't know. For some reason, he wasn't viewed as that by the Pro Bowl. The people who decide on the Pro Bowl. Pro Bowl is so meaningless. Like I could care less about Pro Bowl. It's just a terrible measure of anything. But, you think you think ten touchdowns is better than one? <laughs> probably <laughs> probably <laughs> probably more more of an asset and like nick said yeah i mean Evan ingram had a lot of those mental errors that bother me but that's that's like the low to me that's like just the tipping point it's mostly that he's just not good at, at the things you need to be to make to be a receiver in this league and i say receiver i know he plays tight end but he's a receiving tight end he doesn't have great hands he's not strong at the catch point he's not really good in and out of his breaks he's not um he's not a great route runner and he makes mental errors these are all things that and to boot, he can't really block that well. So it's just, it's not a great combo. So we'll see what happens there. I know he's going to work hard. Maybe they'll find a better way to use him that could spark a potential contract extension. I don't foresee it really happening, especially if the Giants go the route of paying a Kenny Galladay or a Corey Davis or a Curtis Samuel cap dollars, especially if they go the route of using that 11th pick on one of the big receivers or Kyle Pitts, obviously. Then I think that his future is, is set in stone and he'll be gone, especially because remember, like, Somebody is going to buy into Evan Ingram. There's such a lack of debt of talent, and there's such a positional scarcity at tight end around the NFL. Like you'll see it this offseason. John o. Smith didn't get tagged by the John o. Smith didn't get tagged by the Titans because they just can't afford to. They paid Henry and uh, Tannehill last offseason. He's going to get a major contract. People are going to be stunned at the contract he gets. Like look at what Hayden Hurst got. Like Hayden Hurst is a terror or not Hayden Hurst the the dude Austin Hooper the other guy who came over and I think even Hayden Hurst got a little contract extension from Atlanta too if I'm not mistaken I'm not 100% okay, sure he but he might was, still, he still was traded deal. though but he was traded for a second round pick exactly like, an atrocious play I mean like a 28 year old rookie is just not really good at anything and even Austin Hooper like he got a massive deal so John will get that and I think the good news is if the Giants do move on from Ingram next offseason and they aren't players in free agency because they maybe they make a move on Galladay this year they could potentially get a third round comp pick back in the 2022 drafts or i guess it would be the 2023 draft so there's some moving parts there i wanted to ask you about his comments joe judge's comments on dalvin thomas and a lot of people on twitter interpreted them to be to mean that the giants have uh already made the decision in their minds to move on from dalvin i didn't get that feel from listening to judge i think it was more of a feel that people got from hearing him versus you know what they'd read about now in the transcript you heard it. We both listened to the presser. What did you think about his comments on Dalvin? And do you think they're telling sign at all? No, not necessarily. I think they were raving about. I mean, he was raving about Dalvin Tomlinson being the team type of guy and talking 
his skill set up as well, but I, I just don't think Dave Gettleman or Joe Judge wanted to weigh in at all on those situations. And Dave Gettleman kind of laid that out early on in the presser before he was taking questions, how he didn't want to weigh in on uh, contracts or anything like that. And he was going to shut down any questions that kind of came about in that manner. So I didn't necessarily address it that way. But at the same time, man, I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the current cap situation and there's no long-term deal for Leonard Williams. Is he going to play under the franchise tag? What exactly is going to happen? I'm not overly optimistic that Dalvin Tomlinson will be back as an interior defensive lineman when, like you've said plenty of times, you can find that type of talent on the in the free agents or in the draft, even though I don't think they're going to... Well, I mean, Dave Gettleman, you can't really put it past him. But... And to me, it's, you're not going to find anybody as talented at Dalvin Tom, like Dalvin Tomlinson out there. Dalvin Tomlinson is so good at what the Giants ask him to do, and he's a pivotal part of that defense. With that said, this is a business, and I don't know if the Giants are going to be able to outbid some of the other teams that may be looking for a two-gapping nose tackle who has the type of athletic ability that Dalvin Tomlinson possesses. Yeah, you're spot on there, Nick. And if you guys want kind of a clearer picture as to why you know Nick and I were a bit concerned with all of the resources and assets they were putting into the interior defensive line since Gettleman got here. It's a situation like this. They may get Linville Joseph here. They may get, um, I forgot who was the guy before Linville who they let walk, the D-tackle who was good, but they may get Linville Joseph here where they let a really talented guy who's young coming off a rookie deal with no major injury history go to another team and play great football. And that's kind of the boat you put yourself in when you trade a third for Leonard and then kind of back yourself into a corner where you have to make him a super high-paid player. When you use a second, a third, early third on B.J. Hill and when you go ahead and use your 17th overall pick on an interior defensive line with mediocre pass rush ability, if we're being completely honest. It's good for his size. It certainly is. Dexter Lawrence can move for his size. It's great. Good job. But he's not a consistent pass rusher from the interior by any means. And so ultimately when you pour all those assets into the interior defensive line you leave yourself in a situation like they're in and to me at this point they back themselves into a corner and for me i don't think they can really afford to from a roster construction standpoint pay dalvin and leonard and it's crazy to think about because they're two of their best players on their roster by far and they're two of their young and when you factor in age they're by far and away two of the best assets the giants have on this entire roster like with the exception of andrew thomas and xavier mckinney and and with mckinney it's a lot of projection Bradbury, maybe Martinez, who's a little bit older. These are some of their best assets, and yet they really can't logically resign them both with Dexter Lawrence on the on the uh, on the roster as well. So it's just it's a tough spot to put yourself in when you pour all these assets into non-pass rushers. But that's the spot they're in. So I think they're going to let Dalvin walk. I don't think Judge was giving it away or anything here. I just think that's ultimately they're going to make that correct decision not to fire. You know what? <laughs> 35 million in cap space to two interior defensive linemen with Dexter Lawrence already on the books. I would hope they don't do that, but it just doesn't seem logical. And it sucks at the same time because, you know, it's two of their best players. That's crazy. I've been a huge Dalvin Tomlinson fan for years. I always try to put the clips of him up on Twitter so people can kind of see, yo, look how important this guy is within this system and within the last system with James Betcher too. But Mm -hmm. I think think you might be right here, bud. Yeah, and it sucks because, like you said, it's not not great. It's not a great position to be in where you have to, despite not really having any massive contracts on your cap for 2022 and 23, let one of your better players go. All right, let's transition a little bit and talk about Dave Gettleman in the presser. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsors. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I want to tell you about Blue Wire Hustle, a brand new program where you can host your very own podcast here at Blue Wire. Hustle was created to give everyone the opportunity to take your podcast to the next level. Or, if you want to host a podcast and just don't know where to start, Hustle is the perfect place for you. 
As part of the program, you'll receive personal cover art, Q&As with Blue Wire's top podcasters, access to our community Discord, and an e-learning course full of tips and tricks. And on top of that, we'll We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Help you get your show pushed out to Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and all other listening platforms. And the best part is, you can get all of this for only $15 a month. The same rate as any other hosting site would charge you just for the initial setup. So whether you're starting from scratch or have an existing show that you want to grow, Hustle is an open door to leveling up your sports podcasting experience. Acceptance into the program is limited, so get your application in today. To apply, go to bwhustle.com join. Check out the description box for this episode to find out more. But that's bwhustle.com slash join. Like any good team, hiring the right employees for your front office is just as important as recruiting the best players for the game. That's why you need Indeed. Indeed is the job site that makes hiring as easy as one, two, three. Post, screen, and interview all on Indeed. Get your quality shortlist of candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job description faster. Only pay for the candidates that meet must-have qualifications and schedule and complete video interviews in your Indeed dashboard. According to Talent Nest, Indeed delivers four times more hires than all other job sites combined. Get started right now with a free $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com BlueWire. Get a $75 credit at Indeed.com BlueWire. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through June 30th. Terms and conditions apply. All right, let's talk a little bit about Dave Gettleman's presser. Dave Gettleman, of course, since becoming Giants GM, has never been really much of a uh, smokescreen GM. If you look back at everything he said through his three through his three off seasons, he's kind of predicted the future in a lot of ways. He basically said a lot of things that would lead you to believe they were going to take Saquon Barkley. He said a lot of things that would lead you to believe they were going to take a quarterback in the 2019 draft. And he said a lot of things that would lead you to believe they were going to take an offensive tackle in the 2020 draft. He opened up this offseason by saying they want to find weapons for this Giants offense and Daniel Jones. So with that said, I'd like to take a lot of what he said at face value. But before we talk about some of the things he said, let's talk about the fun one. (laughs) Him and Kim Jones got into a little bit of a back and forth, I guess you want to call it. I don't think it was much of that. It was small. What did you make of that little interaction with Kim Jones? And for those of you who don't know, Kim Jones kind of grilled Gettleman on basically the fact that he's claiming the Giants offensive line is young and they need time to develop. But two of their players are Kevin. Uh, two of their highest cap players are Kevin Zeitler and Nate Solder, neither who are young, 
and would therefore not make for an offensive line. And one of the things she said on Twitter to follow up, and I guess in defending herself, is that this is all his pieces. These aren't anything inherited by Reese at this point. This is, he's tried to rebuild the line multiple times. He's poured all these assets, and yet he still now has a young, developing line that, in his words, needs time. So what did you make of that whole interaction? I think you got to break it down piece by piece, right? Well, like Kevin Zeitler's still an effective player, but he's at a high cap number right now. We don't know if he's going to be on the 2021 Giants. Nate Solder, we can all agree that one was a miss. But if there wasn't COVID-19, he would be off the books right now because that contract would have rolled over and it wouldn't be a $10.5 million cap hit to cut him right now. So I, I see where Kim's coming from, but I also kind of, I see more what, what Dave's saying in the sense that he wants to see Matt Parrott, he wants to see Shane Lemieux, Andrew Thomas, three rookies from last year's class, develop, and that is a young core of starters. I don't know if he was trying to allude that Nate Solder is not going to be there or not. I don't think I'm not sure about Nate Solder to be honest. I don't really think he's going to be out there in 2021 for the Giants. That's a kind of unique situation that I'm not. I can see myself flip flopping on if we're going to be real. But I think if you remove Solder from the equation, the average offensive lineman has to be like 26 years old, right? Even with Kevin Zeitler and Nate Solder wasn't actively on the roster last year. But I can see what Kim is saying. Those are his decisions. They are. And he has to own that. But he was also put into a pretty, I guess you could say, unstable and unsavory spot when he accepted this job because the tackles the year prior were Bobby Hart and Eric Flowers. So again, like I say a lot of the times, it's a collective issue. Jerry Reese dropped the ball and then Dave Gettleman went in, signed a lot of guys, and some of them did not work out. Yeah, I mean, I think if we're touching on this side of the, you know, what she said, I think ultimately what she said to Dave not was misinterpreted but it wasn't actually getting to the point she's trying to make the point she was trying to make is you can't really claim that this offensive line still needs time to develop when you have had four years to do it and you've poured a lot of assets not like a situation where the giants haven't under dave gettleman tried to do it and it's also not a situation where the giants haven't had opportunities to do it he's literally picked in the top 10 for three straight years he's had an extra first round or two one of those years he's had more draft capital than any gm in the NFL, and he's had the freedom of ownership and Kevin Abrams, who's done a good job of the cap, to somehow be a big spender every year in free agency. He gets here, he spends that massive deal on Nate Solder, also signs Amame, also trades for Alec Ogletree, restructures his contract, adds more cap space, uh, more of a cap hit there. He then comes out and does, has the Brad. 2018 was a little more, uh, I'm sorry, 2019 was a little less of a spending spree, but then he comes back at it in 2020 with Bradbury, Martinez, and Ryan. So he's definitely had the money to spend, he's had the draft capital to do it, and what she's saying is you're calling this line young and you're asking us to give you more time for this line to get better because remember this offensive line was 31st in pass protection last year actually they were 32nd according to pff but daniel jones at the 31st was pressured more than any other quarterback in the nfl besides sam darnold so he's asking for time she's saying that's not fair and i think that's where it kind of it boils down to and i think from that standpoint she does obviously have a point because what was Dave Gettleman preaching when he came in here? We're going to build through the trenches and we're going to solidify the line. It's just the first couple swings that he took missed, and it's that simple. And now he took a couple more swings, and it's yet to be seen if those actually hit. I feel comfortable with Andrew Thomas. Matt Parrott, I think, is just a question mark. I'm not uncomfortable with it. I'm not comfortable with it. Shane Lemieux, I think, to an extent, is also a question mark. He just really needs to sure up that pass protection. But from a run-blocking standpoint, he showed a lot of intriguing signs. And again, dude was a fifth-round pick, and he stepped in and started in his first season in the NFL. And we saw some encouraging signs. So hopefully, that can carry over to 2021. So I could definitely say it seemed like it got a little heated on the call, though. It seemed like Dave Gettleman kind of like got a little stern and kind of was like, 
you know, he dropped the left guide thing. <laughs> just no R whatsoever at no, all. No R. No, he never pronounces R's. And listen, there's obviously some something going on with those two. I know that. I said this on the locker room Q&A, but I know that Kim Jones was a good friend of Odell Beckham Jr.'s when Kim Jones got sick really Mm. sick had to go to the hospital Odo Beckham Jr. checked in on her and was really supportive of her that's something you rarely see from athletes to media members so I'm sure there's a special bond there I'm sure she's not thrilled with how Beckham or I'm sorry with how Gettleman traded Beckham and the whole handling of the situation the comments he's made post-trade things of that nature so pre and post-trade so I'm sure there's a little bad blood but ultimately we can move on from that but there is a lot to talk about as far as David Gettleman's presser presser goes with regards to the offensive line so I don't want to leave it off there there were a few more comments he made that made me think that he kind of feels a certain way the first one we'll talk about is what he said about Shane Lemieux because the way he phrased it he said we it, it was within the answer to Kim Jones but while talking about how he had a young offensive line he talked about how he has a rookie at left guard, and he hinted in that regard that he would be kind of moving forward with Shane Lemieux as the, as the starting left guard. It's an interesting hint to me, considering Will Hernandez is still on this roster. Will Hernandez was the 34th overall pick in the draft. Will Hernandez overall had better film, according to both me and Nick, by a margin, not like slightly better, by a solid margin than Shane Lemieux last year. Um, so I, I, what did you make of that? Are you, are you reading into it as much as I am or, or not so much? Off the cuff, I didn't read into it as much, but judging by what happened after Will Hernandez left the lineup, that's kind of what I would infer from the entire situation anyway. Shane Lemieux stepped in, and they kind of ran the whole platoon, and Joe Judge kind of alluded to that a little bit, where they wanted to get different combinations out there, and that's why sometimes you saw Will Hernandez out there and no Matt Parrott. Sometimes you saw Will Hernandez and Parrott. Sometimes you just saw Parrott. Different combinations kind of going forward, along with Cameron Fleming, who more than likely will not be a giant this upcoming season. But, I mean... We didn't see Will Hernandez that much down the stretch of the year. It was Shane Lemieux. And Shane Lemieux, to me, is just better at executing the power gap and the counter runs. That is their base run in this Jason Garrett offense. So I I, I wouldn't say I'm overly surprised by it, but I didn't necessarily even look into it during the presser and, and think of it in that manner. Yeah, it was just something that stood out to me, I guess. Maybe it didn't have, resonate the same way, and that's fine. I mean, listen, ultimately they are going to have a full training camp and preseason maybe this year to kind of sort that whole business out and we'll see what happens the best man will win I thought sticking on the offensive line he did have more talent I guess I would say maybe I might have been reading into the the Lemieux versus Hernandez thing or what's going on at left guard but at right tackle he said pretty clearly Jordan Ronan I believe asked him or I think it was Ronan who asked him do you feel comfortable going into year two with Matt Parrott and Andrew Thomas as your starting tackles and he said point blank yes I am I am comfortable he said when Parrott played he played fine he played pretty damn well at some point in time you've got to let the young kids play listen every rookie every player was a rookie at some point or a young player at some point at some point in time you have to have the confidence who's in your club and you have to put them in there and let them play like I've said to some of you how many of you had Pulitzer Prize winning winning articles your first or second year so it sounds to me like he's going to be comfortable rolling with Matt Parrott at right tackle for week one it does sound like that but I'm still not going to fully rule out yeah. the fact that they might go after Rashawn Slater because the way Ronan set up the question it was like are you comfortable I mean this guy just spent a top 100 pick on Parrott <laughs> he's not going to be like nah you know that guy sucks like <laughs> so I, I, I can kind of see him also looking into the tackle position if there weren't so many pressing needs on the roster I think at the end of the day I think it's going to be Parrott and Thomas though but there you know there's definitely a chance that he could look at someone like Rashawn Slater if he falls to 11 which I mean is kind of up in the air right now but ultimately I think it's going to be 
a skill position player at 11 or possibly a uh, cornerback. I think it's going to be either skill position player or Parsons, personally. I think or or be, Parsons, yes. They're going to yes. be very high on Parsons with Spencer on the roster as one of their coaches. I just have this weird gut feeling about that. Which I think is a great take, too, because that can't be understated because Parsons is having all the off-the-field stuff kind of coming in where it was reported, uh, I think, like hazing stuff from a couple years ago. Nobody knows Michael Parsons better yes. than Sean Spencer, the defensive line coach of the New York Giants. So he can suss all of that out. Giants kind of have that advantage over other teams. And, I mean, Michael Parsons, I haven't evaluated his tape yet, but from what I've seen from him, man, wouldn't he not be amazing in the system? From what I've seen from Micah Parsons, he's going to be one or two on my short list. I can already tell at 11. I just know the skill set he has how he would fit Patrick Graham's defense. And from everything I've heard from people around Penn State, the, the hazing stuff was completely overblown. Yatir Grossmatos was also in that involved in that, and yet he has no problems as playing for the Panthers and having a great – he had a great rookie season when healthy. So I'm not too worried about that. Obviously, Spencer would know. So if they they pass on him, maybe that's a reason. That's fine. But if they don't, then I'm not worried at all about it. So he'll be on my short list for sure. Um, but yeah, I think you're right. Ultimately, they're going to pass on tackle at 11. I think they're going to pass on tackle at 42 as well. I think Matt Parrott will be the guy. Now, something interesting to think about, was Parrott worse in the second half because he came back from COVID? Was the COVID affecting him? Remember, we can't discount how COVID affects people. I've had, I've had a lot, I haven't, I was lucky enough to not get COVID, but I've had a lot of friends who've had COVID and they've told me, one of my friends who had COVID a month or two later, he still can't shovel snow out of his driveway. That's how bad it is. He's tired after three minutes of shoveling snow. I mean, Jason Tatum, who plays for the Southern, as I mentioned on this podcast a couple weeks ago, said, I can barely breathe on the court, running up and down the court. So camp, nobody knows. They didn't speak about it. Parrot didn't talk about it much. Hernandez didn't talk about it much. So it might be a factor in why he was a little worse in the second half. Especially for players who are over 300 pounds. Yeah. And that cannot be overstated. And again, these guys aren't obese. They're they're athletes. They have you know muscle underneath the the little cushion that they do have, but they're still over 300 pounds, and that, that illness can definitely affect that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Okay, Nick, Dave talked a little bit about the idea of potentially trading in this draft, either up or down. Jeez, was there anything key that you took away from that? Not necessarily, because he talked about there's an argument to trade back, and then there's an argument to staying put, and then there's an argument to maybe even trading up, because the top 150 guys, you might have the best information on, whereas the guys in the third round, or third round plus, you know, later in the draft, you're not going to have as much information on, because you're not talking to them and stuff like that. A lot of this press conference from Judge and Gettleman was just kind of COVID policies and stuff like that and how they're not going to get their hands on a lot of prospects and have those face-to-face type of interviews and how that does kind of affect the overall process. Both Gettleman and Judge brought that up. But I mean, let's just look at Dave Gettleman's track record, Dan. Dude doesn't trade back. Unfortunate, but the dude just doesn't trade back. He's never traded back. I know. I know. It's very, it stinks. I think it would be wise to trade back in this year and collect more assets, even in a year where you might not have as much information as you usually do. But like we've said in the past, he had what, 10 picks last year? And he hit on a lot of them. I mean, Cam Brown, even guys like Cam Brown, Carter Coughlin, Tay Crowder, six seventh round picks who were playing significant snaps and sometimes winning some football games. And Tay Crowder was, you know, basically a full time role most of the time because David Mayo just couldn't do it. So I'm all for trading back. I it just doesn't seem like Gettleman will. And he, in this question, he just kind of bounces around and he says, hmm. you know, each way you can make a case for it. Essentially, yeah, there's no doubt about it. I mean, my your takeaway was the same as mine. Essentially, I don't think he said too much about it. I think he just got instead bank on the track record, and that is pretty tell pretty tell telltale sign that he's not going to trade back in this draft. Now, I've said it in the past. I've said it again. There's no coincidence to me that the Giants 
were able to find more success on day three in 2021 draft than they have in all of Dave Gettleman's tenure because they had way more picks than they've had on day three. You have more dart throws in those fringe guys, and you have a better chance because most guys are selected after the first round, even two rounds, even three rounds, and then as you go on, it gets even greater, aren't going to make it in the NFL. That's the reality of the draft, and so why not take more chances? So hopefully he finds a way to get more day three picks. I'm with you, Nick. There's guys that you can find that specifically fit, specifically the defensive side of the ball, man. Like There are guys that you can find on day three that won't fit in like 28 of these 32 defenses, but to you, they'll fit, and they'll be excellent value picks, but you need a lot of them. You need more, so then you could also go ahead and take a chance on another receiver. So you can also go ahead and take a chance on a depth offensive lineman, so you're not just pouring them all into the defense you need more picks and they've already traded one of their day three picks can't afford to trade anymore instead they need to somehow find a way to create more i ultimately think it's better you know it'll be a better option for them potentially at 42 to trade back than 11 because i really do like the idea of getting parsons pitts or waddle really um i think that's fair too and the reality is one of those three should be available you'd imagine especially because at least three of those quarterbacks are going if not four Yes, and I, you, I mean, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson, Trevor Lawrence could all easily go before the easily. Giants pick, and that would push so much talent down to the Giants. So I actually, I definitely agree with that. Though I'm a little less. I'd say I'm locked in on, and obviously I'm not going to include Chase in this because I don't think any chance Jamar Chase makes it to 11. But I shouldn't say that because C.D. Lamb made it into the teens, and C.D. Lamb I thought would never have a chance. I think C.D. Lamb is the best prospect that I've seen in either of these classes. That's my personal opinion. I love the way Lamb plays football. I love his traits, the body control, the hands, the the ability to create after the catch ability to eliminate angles in space he to me is the best of anyone besides maybe jamar but it's a, it would be a tough debate there but like out of all the ones i just mentioned waddle would be by far last on my list i can make it in my mind a case can be made for the giants if waddle's the only one on the board to trade down there or to go a different route i like waddle i think he's super electric i think he's super fast but i also think that there's a lot of guys like him and i think that like um, rondell moore is not too much he's obviously the worst he's not as explosive he's not as fast but like guys like Rondell Moore Elijah Moore these type of players even I'm watching um Kadarius Tony Kadarius Tony I'm watching the kid from Dwayne uh, Eskridge Dwayne Eskridge I'm watching and I'm like he's small and he's not waddle they're not waddle none of them are waddle but at the same time they're kind of a little bit less than him and you don't really find that with a chase in this draft maybe Bateman's the only one who's close but they're totally different players they're just different players yeah and Jamar Chase man like I've I've dove into his film and I knew he would be a Dan Schneier guy I just knew it and he's a big Nick Filato guy too like he if he's there at 11 that's a that's a run run I can uh, run to the podium for sprint to the podium you know do cartwheels to the podium Though I will say this, if Chase and Pitts are both on the board at 11, I can make a case for Pitts. I love Kyle Pitts, man. But I'd yeah. still probably lean to Chase just because he's a receiver, But and I think they need that more. Yeah. But I think Pitts could be a receiver. Like, we, we've said yeah. this before. But like Jamar Chase, I mean, the dude was only – I mean, I think Pitts is only a year older than him. So They're I guess that's – super young. Yeah, I think Pitts is 20 and Jamar Chase – I think, yeah, no, I think he's 20 as well right now. And yeah. obviously we haven't seen him in a year. And Dave Gettleman also kind of made a comment about, hey, we haven't seen – some of these players for 19, 20 months, or he said something along those lines. And is that Dave Gettleman tipping his hand? Like, hey, all those opt-outs, I might be a little bit hesitant to take them. But if it's Jamar Chase, I'd imagine he would select them. I mean, Dave Gettleman, there's something that he's pretty good at. It's evaluating, you could say, talent, I would hope. And I think it, my mother, as Dave Gettleman said with Saquon Barkley, could evaluate Jamar Chase. The guy can play football. Yes, 100%. So it's very much so a run to the podium pick if he's there. We'll see if it happens. It seems unlikely at this time, but who knows. I do think there's a good chance Waddle will be there, though, just for the record. 
All right, let's move on to something else Dave Gettleman said that I thought was interesting. He talked a little bit about the salary cap. So before I preface that, I want to mention a few things just to set the stage. One, a report was just released today after Gettleman's presser from Charles Robinson that with the new TV deal the NFL is negotiating, they expect the cap to rise to $250 million in five years. $250 million. Right now, it's at about, it's going to be probably about 180 So just keep that in mind. That is a massive spike in the salary cap. Now also, let me set the stage by saying the Giants have a quarterback on a rookie contract. Now also, let me set the stage by saying the Saints, New Orleans Saints, salary cap hell in 2014. They were in salary cap hell. What? What? They signed Jairus Bird to the largest safety contract in NFL history at the time. Then salary cap hell was due to them in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020. Okay, okay, though. But finally, it was going to happen this offseason, right? Breeze, the Breeze deal, blah, blah, blah. It was finally coming to head. But wait, they found some weird contract loophole with Breeze to lower his cap it. And what? They franchise tagged the player today? Are you kidding me? Yes, they did. Because you borrow future cap years. The cap is a fluid number. It's not set in stone. It doesn't doesn't reset year after year. It's a fluid number. And more importantly, these teams are leveraging it by understanding that by dipping into future years, you're playing against the fact that the cap is going to rise and that money is more valuable now than it will be in future years. Also, guess what? If you were to get that one super hell of a cap year that I'm sure the Saints will get or the Eagles are going to maybe get this year, Guess what happens? The worst case scenario is that super bad cap year. Like everybody talks about cap hell. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Actually, though, it could be the best thing to ever happen for your franchise because if you have a super bottom out year and you win two games, you might just luck your way into Joe Burrow or Trevor Lawrence. That's what the back, the past two draft classes have had Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence at number one overall. So actually, it's probably better to bottom out and have a cap hell year and not get stuck drafting at 10 or 11. So I'm just never going to be down for that argument. Don't get yourself in cap hell. And so I wanted to ask your your thoughts on Dave Gettleman's um comments on the cap nick because here's what he said he says the goal is to best manage the cap to get flat contracts so if a guy's making 15 million it's a three-year deal at 45 million you'd like to have a 15 million dollar cap number every year that's the goal once you start restructuring or renegotiating usually back end load them what you're doing is you're kicking the can so it depends how much pain you want to deal with that's really what it is. Some teams philosophically say, and I, I can't believe he even acknowledges this, but I'm impressed that he did. Some teams philosophically say, the heck with it. And they restructure, and some people don't. It's a philosophical conversation, but it's good, not a good place to get to, to co- constantly restructure and negotiate. And I agree with him. It's not a good place to get to by any means. And I know he feels burned by what's going on with Solder. And the fact of the matter is, he didn't want to have to deal with the Solder contract this offseason. If COVID hadn't happened, he wouldn't. Solder would have been cut last offseason. There would have been some dead cap then, and they would have been completely off the books for this offseason. But the reality is you can't let that impact your decision-making. And ultimately, I'll get your take, and then I'll give you mine. But what did you make of this? I think it's pretty stubborn. It's what I would expect Dave Gettleman to say, and it's pretty myopic, to be honest, man, because I think you, you can do stuff like that. I mean, just look what the Saints did recently. They restructured Cameron Jordan's contract, they restructured DeMario Davis's contract, and now they're freeing up some cap space so they could franchise tag Marcus Williams, their safety. I think smarter teams are doing this, and I'm not saying Dee Gettleman is dumb or anything like that, but I just think it's a, a more new age type of thing, and as somebody, one of the reporters pointed out, Dave Gettleman's a little bit of an older general manager, a little bit uh, more of a stubborn type of mindset, so I would actually like to see him get a little bit more flexible with some of these contracts. He doesn't have to do it with everybody, but not every contract has to be flat. You you can yes. maneuver. 
to create space in the immediate and then deal with it a little bit later. Like you said, the Saints have been doing that forever. The Eagles have been doing that forever. And the reason why it's really caught up the Eagles is because they gave a bad contract yes. to Carson Wentz and then they had to trade him because they had a falling out. So I, I would like for him to reconsider that, but it doesn't seem like he's going to come off this stance. I don't think Gettleman's going to come off this stance, but my take is it doesn't matter. I don't think Gettleman has much of any say over the cap. I think There's it's a Kevin too. Abrams yeah. thing. I think Abrams does an excellent job with the cap, and I think he's the one dictating salary cap decisions. Now, Gettleman can say all he wants that he wants these stupid flat deals that are meaningless, because guess what? What's the point of giving yourself flexibility to cut someone like James Bradbury, for example, right now? You know you can count on James Bradbury for at least two to three or four more years to be a great player for your team based on his age unless you get unlucky with an injury. And you can't bank on injuries. You can't predict injuries. They're unpredictable. They change people's careers, but they're hard to predict. So somebody like Bradbury is the perfect guy to restructure. Somebody like Blake Martinez, another guy you can count on in three or four, in two to four years. So you don't have to worry about having flexibility. The whole point of not restructuring would be like to say like, in a year now, maybe we want to cut Bradbury and all we'll have is 2 million dead cap. They're not going to cut Bradbury. So what the hell is the point of that flexibility to have no dead cap left there if you're not going to cut him? And that's what the smart teams are realizing. My whole take on this though is that Gettleman has no say over this. I think what you said is true. He's an older GM. I don't know if it's as much stubbornness as just stubborn's probably a good way to describe it. I think he just has his old way and he's used to it. He's been around the game for so long. The game has changed so much from when he first started doing this to when he's doing it now. And so there's a lot of changes that have been made. I don't think he's done an excellent job changing with the times he's talked about last year trying to get computer folk in i think that uh <laughs> i think that uh, joe judge is going to have a good influence over him and hopefully considering the fact that he already at least has set the bar with a lot of the non-pass passing game you know positions the idl the running back he can at this point just because it seems like gentleman is a kind of like abc type of roster filler in my mind he feels like he's got his tackles okay now he's not really considering that position he's got his running back he's got this and that and this and so ultimately i think the positions that are left are the ones that impact the passing game the most so that's a good sign i think that will happen but really like you said i mean the hope would be that he could open his mind up a little bit to potentially acquiring more picks in the draft that would be key for the giants i think that'd be ideal i mean going forward and in this current draft even though like he said this draft might be a little bit of an unknown with some of those later picks but you still have film on these guys they have all the access to the film they're not like me going around trying to find freaking film on some small school guy yeah. <laughs> you know what i mean so i mean they could still watch it and kind of get it from that standpoint hopefully a lot of these guys within the organization have enough relationships around uh, college football to where they can really trust coaches to give them the right I guess you could say character breakdown on a lot of these smaller school guys yeah I thought the only other interesting takeaway I'm just reading it back over now I thought it was funny um he he kind of collapsed at the end of this presser a bit got him oh, poor guy <laughs> I mean he's an older guy and he he started to have some mistakes he called Tay Crowder Tay Crawford that was weird he said that Chris Williamson was on the Giants practice squad. He's on the Falcons. <laughs> that was weird. Uh, I think he couldn't he couldn't figure out when Cam Brown was drafted. That was a little weird, too. Yeah, yeah, he, started, he had a little trouble at the end with those day three picks. It was just last year, but I mean, I, I think, guess he's had a lot going on. I think right that now. was uh, one of my uh, bosses over at Sports Illustrated, Pat, uh, Pat oh, Trana, who asked that question, too. And yeah, he really fumbled with a lot of that. And then he started going in. I thought this was a little interesting. He started talking about, he like threw water cold water i guess you could say on the underwear olympics kind of poo-pooing the 40-yard dash times and all of that and he's like you know you focus more on the body composition and then he went to go say length and he kind of stopped himself a little bit but doesn't seem like he puts too much stock in combine type numbers which i think is fair to say he hasn't been 
somebody who has drafted these incredible athletes or anything like that. Which is a good thing. That's one thing I am so on board with Dave Gettleman about. It's not the only thing. There are things I like about Gettleman. I know you guys, some people may think there aren't. It's just the overall stuff is the problems I have, the the stuff that matters the most. But this is one thing I like, like you said. He doesn't put too much stock in the 40 time. And that's going to be even more important this year than ever because we're going to have guys hand testing and at their pro days running reported 4-3-1s like Greg Newsom ran today where I'm sure he's really a 4-4 athlete, which is still great. But, like, you're not a 4-3-1. I mean, we don't know for sure. You know, we're going to have weird times come out. And, like, it's going to be the fastest year ever like, by uh, the times that we get in the media by these pro days. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Everyone's going to be running a 4-3. John Ross, your record's gone, bro. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be 4-1s out there, 3-9s. Oh, you're screwed, bro. Yeah, but Gettleman just went on about play speed. And it's like you, you play in, in shoulder pads and pads. You do right. not play in your underwear. And he has a really good point about that. Yeah. All right, anything else from Gentleman's Press you want to touch on, or should we dive into a little bit of NFL news and then take some questions from the listeners? Yeah, let's do the latter. Okay. We'll start with the big news I think that affects the Giants. We could talk a little about the Dak Press contract extension first and then maybe get into that, but I'll, I want to start with the fun stuff. Let's start with the fact that Kenny Galladay was not franchise tagged by the Lions. Now, some people would ask, why would they not just tag him and then try to trade him? Well, what they're thinking is, they're in rebuilding mode. They have a new GM that believes in a different style of rebuilding. He's not going to pour money into free agency this year. So if they don't pour money into free agency this year, then they're going to get a minimum the highest third-round comp pick back by letting Kenny Galladay sign for 70 to $20 million a year. And you could be sure as hell if the Giants are going to get him, they're going to have to pay in this man 70 to $20 million a year in free agency. And he even said, the Lions GM, that he likes how the Rams built their receiver corps, and that was a bunch of mid-round <laughs> picks, seconds and thirds, and I believe a fourth. So ultimately, I think that that's the reason they let him go, but I think this definitely impacts the Giants. I think the Giants are hot on Galladay. There was obviously that weird rumor that was unsubstantiated, but a rumor during the season that Gettleman tried to trade for him at the deadline. Now he's hitting the market. I think the Giants are going to be big-time players on Kenny Galladay. What are your thoughts on the potential of the Giants making Kenny Galladay an 18 to $20 million per year uh, player on their on their contract? On, I'm sorry, on their roster. I think they're going to have to get creative with how they, A, free up some cap space, and B, how they structure that contract. But ultimately, and we alluded to this on the uh, locker room app as well, which will be dropping after this. I mean, he's going to have a chance to go to Miami, possibly Jacksonville, teams that are going to be interested in him, teams that not merely Jacksonville right now, even though they're a little bit unknown because of Urban Meyer, but Miami, a more winning culture as of right now, he can go there and get no state income tax. And that's going to be gigantic. That's going to be millions of dollars more because New York's income tax is so is just really, really high <laughs> in this country. My, Florida doesn't even have one. So, I mean, I just I, I kind of envision him not being a giant, which sucks, man, because I, I would welcome him. I think the Giants are going to be relegated going after the Corey Davises of the world, the Curtis Samuels of the world, and, and receivers like that. Okay, but if the Giants were able to sign him, let's say, to a $20 okay. million per year contract at, on average, or maybe eighteen, nineteen, who cares? Is that something that you would be interested in? Uh, when is that television contract kicking in? I mean, no one knows for sure. Yeah. The idea is that the cap is going to just keep going up and up and up and by, they say, five years from now, reach $250 million. Yeah, so I, I would hope that it would be, I guess, backloaded a little bit to kind of help fit that so it doesn't really constrict the Giants in the next coming years. But uh, that's a lot of money, man, but I think that is the money that you're going to have to allocate. I don't know if it's feasible, but like you said, I don't think you can go into 2020 without adding someone significant to that wide receiver core. Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. I, 
yes, I think there are different ways to add someone significant to that receiver core. Like, just look at the Reds, I'm um, sorry, the Washington football team. Who would have thought that they were going to add someone seriously significant to that wide receiver core when they only used a third round pick or whatever it was on Terry McLaurin? Who would have thought the Titans were going to find the 1A, probably the best young receiver in the game, when they used a mid-second rounder on A.J. Brown? And there's countless examples of second and third round receivers becoming big-time players. And ultimately, it's a position that you don't necessarily have to spend huge in free agency on or spend that top 11 pick on. So I'm a little torn on it. I would still love to sign Kenny Galladay. I personally am not a huge believer that Giants are in any kind of bad cap position. I think they're in a super healthy cap position with a quarterback and a rookie contract and no major contracts and both Zeitler and Solder off the books next offseason, most likely. So with all that said, I think they can afford to make this kind of splash. They're in fine cap position. And I think Kenny Galladay projects as a perfect fit for Daniel Jones' skill set. Not a good one, a perfect fit. Six foot four, two thirteen, great in contested catch, the prototypical X for Jason Garrett's system, great body control in the air, strong at the catch point, all the things I love. Doesn't have four or three speed, who cares? He still gets open vertically using body positioning and his leaping ability. Now, one thing that would concern me. And it's funny because I think you're just about to allude to it, but this was what I, the main point I wanted to get to with Galladay. It's something I keep seeing pop across Twitter. Believe it or not, somehow Kenny Galladay is only 70 days younger than Mike Evans, who feels like he's been in the NFL forever. Somehow Kenny Galladay is, is I think, 30, 43 days younger only than Allen Robinson, who's also been in the NFL for feels like for, forever. So although he is coming off a rookie contract, he was a super old rookie. So does that concern you at all? I think it would concern... Uh, it doesn't concern me in the immediate, but given the injury history with Kenny Galladay, I mean, he missed the majority of this season. Yes. And that does kind of concern me a little bit. Now, I'm not a doctor. I won't pretend to be. I'm sure the Giants, if they sign him, they would go through the entire medical process and he checks out at the age of 27, giving him, let's say, a what four-year deal, makes him a free agent by 31. That wouldn't, I guess, concern me all that much, but it really would come down to the medical for me and another note on Galladay at the combine the guy did run a four or five that's exceptionally fast for a guy his size yeah without a doubt I mean if you're six foot four two thirteen especially with that type of frame with the frame exactly yeah. now it's not four three but four five is, is a good speed for a six for foot four size. receiver yes. yes and I'm kind of with you I don't think I have too much trouble I think 27 is the prime age for football players athletes and especially the receiver position to come into their own there were a lot of studies that i remember when i first started doing this uh joining this industry that said wide receivers take longer than people are giving people are too impatient on wide receivers and they showed that like in year three four or five but year three was specifically the year of the breakout for the wide receiver this would be his fifth nfl season he's obviously already broken out before the injury plague 2020 galladay went one th- uh, i'm sorry 65 receptions for 1190 yards and 11 touchdowns with an absolutely absurd 18.3 yards per reception i mean his yards per reception over his career is 16.8 that is unbelievable and remember matt stafford hurt his back in like week yes. eight of that season and he had like david blau <laughs> yeah and he was Chase producing with throwing the football yes. so you have to keep that in the context but i mean 20 million is a lot man i'm not gonna lie but hopefully you know covid uh doesn't persist and the cap will continue to go up as fans get back in the seats and that wouldn't be a huge hindrance to the giants moving forward i think it would take uh like i said creative restructures and some maybe releases or some sort of restructure maybe with Zeitler something to do with Solder but uh yeah I mean you need to give Daniel Jones weapons you just do yes you're not there are different ways to do it but you need to do it somehow yes now let me ask you about the Dak Prescott contract extension do you have any key takeaways or thoughts on that I mean, I don't even like this is kind of goes to like the the crazy maneuvering of contracts with Dak Prescott. I mean, this guy 
is going to get paid $75 million in year one. $75 freaking million because he's getting a $66 million signing bonus and his base salary is only $9 million. And you would think that's going to totally tank the Dallas Cowboys cap space, but it just doesn't. It's not. He's only going to count like $22 million against the cap. And yeah, it's just they're go, backloading they're it. They're just backloading it, and by the time, I mean, this is a big tip that a lot of people are catching on to, that Jerry Jones is probably aware of some sort of massive television deal. So by the time it's over, there's going to be a lot more revenue to go around. Dak Prescott's going to be 31 years old. He'll get another bite at the apple in free agency to to get another massive, you know, three, four-year deal. 31 is still young for a quarterback. I just think it's a good deal for both sides. It's a good deal for Dak. It's a good deal for the Cowboys. And... Uh, Kind of sucks, I guess, for the Giants. I think Dak Prescott is a good quarterback. I don't think he's a great quarterback. I don't think he's shown that quite yet, but he's a good quarterback. And it would have been fun to see Dallas go to quarterback purgatory. It really would have, but it doesn't seem like that's happening. <laughs> it would have been fun to see him go to quarterback purgatory. I think we're probably a little bit different in our opinion of Dak, I would say. I think he is a great quarterback already. Um, I never thought I would think that, too. There were It was really as recently as two years ago I made a strong case, and I was the guy in the office arguing that Carson Wentz was a way better quarterback than Dak Prescott. And then he did something that I don't see often from quarterbacks in the NFL. He really improved his game to such a crazy level, Prescott. I feel like a lot of it is kind of something he unlocked, which is doing a lot of work with your hips and lower body to strengthen. It sounds so funny, but like the stuff he does, the flexibility and the strength that he's created in his core and in his hips has allowed him to get a lot more drive on his football. It's also improved his accuracy. His accuracy is completely different than the Dak Prescott we saw in 2016 when the Giants were beating him in week 14 to kind of, you know, win that game, get them on that run toward the playoffs. I mean, they made him look foolish in that game, and he was off target on all the throws. If you watch him now, last season, his his on-target percentage is just so ridiculously high. Almost all of his passes have really good ball placement, and he can drive the ball, and he's really good at reading the defense and delivering the ball to the right spot. So I think the positive news for Giants fans here, and this is real, it's not just a positive spin, would be that it's going to be really difficult for Dallas to build a roster around Prescott now. Not necessarily for this year, as Nick alluded to. They're only going to have a $22 million cap hit. But then they're going to start to have big, big cap hits on their cap or on their total salary cap with this Prescott contract. And it's not like they're in the Saints spot right now where they're re-signing Dak Prescott and they have this elite defense like the Saints have. The Cowboys defense was one of the worst in the NFL last year. They may have some on-paper talent, but Jalen Smith isn't what they thought he would be. He's starting to fall off. Van Der Esch is always hurt. Their corners didn't develop as people thought they would. Their safeties aren't great. And their edges aren't playing the way they should and the way that their contracts say they should, with the exception of obviously Allen Smith, and who knows if he'll be back on that team. They have injuries on the offensive line, but I'm just saying defensively they're so far off that like they don't really have the resources to improve this defense that much besides unless they do great in the draft. So I think that ultimately they could end up being this kind of like eight and eight to ten and six to eleven and five team year after year that never makes a serious run. Yeah, no, and even next year, looking at their cap situation right now, if they want to release Ezekiel Elliott, he's still going to count in 2022 $10 million, just under $11 million against the cap. That's they still, backloaded that deal they a bunch, backloaded, too. So that's kind of a negative of the strategy that we were talking about when you do this, especially if you kind of make a You can just avoid that by not. Yeah, you can yeah. avoid that by not signing a running back exactly. to a massive contract. Yeah, no, that one's pretty easily avoidable. They're 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 capped. I mean, I mean, Dak Prescott in 2022 is looking to take oh, yeah. up 15.8 percent of their cap. Demarcus Lawrence 12, Mari Cooper 10.5. And it's it's not it's not great. A lot of these guys are older or or declining assets. Yeah. Well, Demarcus Lawrence, he's not necessarily old, but he didn't live up to his contract last season unless he was playing the New York Giants in uh, that first game. 
So uh, it's it's going to be interesting. But I mean, Jerry Jones got his quarterback. It's not going to be Deshaun Watson, thankfully. It's not going to be Russell Wilson, thankfully. It's Dak Prescott. I'm not trying to poo-poo on Dak Prescott. I do think he's a good quarterback. He's not. I don't think he's those two quarterbacks, though. But uh, yeah, man. I mean. <laughs> I'm interested to see what that contract is going to look like in a, in a couple years, but it's great for them this year. And I think something interesting you brought up, Nick, is maybe Jerry Jones has a little insight into the rising cap. Because if you just look at this page and you look at dead cap hit of obviously 72 million for Dak, you can't cut him. 19 for Dexter, uh, um, for sorry for Demarcus Lawrence. This is next off season, by the way. Amari with a six mil dead cap hit. Zeke with a 10 plus dead cap hit. Martin with a 10 plus. Tyron with a 10 plus. Lyle Collins with an eight plus. Jalen Smith with a six million dead cap. I mean, if you just look at and CD Lamb, not they would ever cut him. These are all dead cap hits. They can't get rid of any of these deals. So if you just look at this page and then compare this to like the Giants page for the exact same off season in 2022. You can't possibly tell me the Giants can't spend in this free agency. You just can't look me in the eye and tell me when you have these teams that are just so have so much more future cap space allocated than the Giants do in 2022. So much more. Especially if the Giants come into a deal with Leonard Williams, and that's kind of the big thing. The Giants come into a deal with Leonard Williams, and they somewhat backload that as well, then you can definitely spend more money, and that would be the avenue. It's just It seems like the two sides just aren't seeing eye-to-eye right now, and there's still a grievance with the NFL that has not been solved that Leonard Williams... Is a defensive, was tagged as a defensive lineman or tagged as an edge. He's saying right. he's an edge to get an extra like $1.4 million or something like that. And obviously the Giants are saying that he's a defensive lineman. And that's that's going to affect the cap as well. Obviously not to a huge extent, but it's also a, just another disagreement that the club has with Leonard Williams. No doubt about it. All right. Anything else about recent NFL news that stood out to you or should we jump into some questions? Let's jump into some questions. Other than the oh. fact that uh, Isaiah Wilson was traded. What a, what a, what a, oh my God. What a draft pick that the was. Titans got DeAndre Baker, baby. Yeah, Another they, Georgia kid. DeAndre Baker and the, the hell out of that franchise. They're they're screwed now. I mean, they have no cap space. After the Henry and Tano contracts, they, they let Conklin go. That He was supposed to be the Conklin replacement. Now they don't have a right tackle. Isn't that crazy, man? They literally, less than a year ago, they made Isaiah Wilson a first-round pick, and he's already out of town because the guy got a DUI in the summer, wasn't listening to authority, was out during COVID protocols with no mask on, disobeying the team, that he tweets that uh, he's done with football in Tennessee. And what is John Robinson going to do? The guy has zero leverage. Literally, he swapped seventh-round draft picks. Oof. That's what an ROI. <laughs> like, that yeah. sucks, man. It's brutal. It's brutal. I mean, it'd be funnier to me, or I guess, like, more less ironic if it didn't literally happen to the Giants last offseason with DeAndre Baker, basically. And I think— with It's the, devastating. Yeah. I mean, losing DeAndre Baker is just a devastating blow to it this is, roster. It is, but I, I, those are two totally different situations, and especially since the facts kind of came out uh, with the DeAndre Baker situation. It looks like the Giants, they were trying to build a culture with Joe Judge there, no-nonsense type of culture, and it looks like maybe DeAndre Baker was— frame to some extent so i mean a little bit different but you're right it was a first round pick out of georgia that just ended up not being on the team because of some sort of character issue yeah either way not great for either franchise let's get to some questions lumby 1203 asks where did he go what did why does it seem like sean wade cornerback from ohio state fell off a cliff they were talking about him last year as one of the top corners after college football championship game you don't hear his name Devontae smith had 12 catches 215 and three TDs. How far can he fall, and do you think his style of play matches what Patrick Graham wants from an outside cornerback, or does he give you give you give off scary Eli Apple vibes? I wouldn't necessarily say Eli Apple, but I, and I haven't did, dove into Ohio State's film. I just saw and heard from a lot of people, and just from watching Ohio State casually, that his play took a significant step, and we saw that with Devonta Smith uh, in that 
uh, national championship game that Sean Wade built up to be first round pick looked absolutely nothing like a first round pick looked like his feet were in the mud looked like he was guessing way too often wasn't comfortable in his own skin out there to be honest and it's kind of a fall from grace a lot of people are saying you know what this guy's probably a safety now and he's not even that big of a dude so I don't really look at Sean Wade as even an option for the Giants unless it's later later and I'm imagining a team this is a Big Ten team right here a team in the NFL is going to probably invest I'm not sure, man. Would he, would he, is he going to fall to day three? Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think that we shouldn't make too much of, like, where these players are ranked before the, the season. Because remember, Tyler Badish was protected to be a first-round pick. He fell to the fourth round. Obviously, that looking like it's working out for the Cowboys, and there were some injury concerns. But with Wade, I wouldn't feel comfortable taking him anywhere before maybe the fourth or fifth round. I have almost no interest in this guy. I think he has almost no chance. I feel like he doesn't have speed to play outside corner in the NFL. I think in, unless you play a, a cover three where you just always have safety help for him or some kind of defense where he always is protected vertically, he's never going to make it because he doesn't have the if he doesn't have the speed to keep up at the college level, there's no chance he has the speed to keep up at the NFL level. And to me, he doesn't have that kind of that kind of just raw speed. I'm not talking time speed, just play speed yeah it's more it's a play speed issue yeah and like you said if it's also now affecting his confidence that could never come back potentially i mean you've seen that with players before i mean cory valentine really his confidence never came back he's a different kind of prospect but he was very confident at his lower level at washburn played great football and then could never have that translate so i'm out on wade personally completely. what i what i would say is while i agree that those preseason things are can be a little bogus sometimes yeah. he did have quality some some good 2019 tape from, yeah. from what i've seen and i didn't scout him but i was scouting ohio state defensive players and i saw him and i was like oh this guy's gonna be a fun guy whenever he declares maybe and then 2020 just fell off <laughs> yeah so it is what it is i don't think either of us are too enthused by um sean wade ps mark says dan and nick host my favorite giants podcast thank you ps marks I love the All-22 breakdowns. These two future stars are smart and hilarious. Nice. Question for the host. What are Darius Slayton's strengths, weaknesses, and ceiling as a receiver? So Darius Slayton definitely had a step back. But if you would have asked me last year, I would say his strengths were releasing off the line of scrimmage. I thought he did a solid job doing that. I thought he was good despite his more linear frame on those like skinny slants and dig routes. And I saw that to an extent in 2020 and I thought he was good in those contested catch situations in one-on-one I still think he could be put in space a little bit more he's still a faster guy I don't have his 40 off the top of my head but wasn't it like a 4-3-8 or something like that Dan yeah I think it was definitely it was like in the 4-3s like he and even he has the play speed as well he's fast when you get him in space I think it was 4-3-9 to be exact 4-3-9 and we saw that in the jet game granted it was a Greg Williams cover zero but he caught that little slant and just outran the whoever was left in the jet secondary which wasn't a lot of people because it's greg williams but uh, i i I do think he's kind of i don't want to say he's at his ceiling because he's still a young player and he's developing but i'm not overly intrigued by him after this season i think this was the season where it's like this this could be your one-on-one he wasn't put into the best position being with jason garrett but he wasn't winning at the line of scrimmage he was allowing people to get into his chest and he wasn't beating press i think he needs to refine those aspects of playing receiver i think he needs to get a little bit stronger at the line of scrimmage and he needs to get back to what he was doing in 2019 which was tracking the ball in the air concentrating adjusting his body and using good body control along the sideline to make impressive catches over the top of cornerbacks who are comparable in size it wasn't like he was just out bodying like five foot nine corners so he he showed a lot in 2019 2020 step down he needs to have that third year progression hopefully it was just a sophomore slump 
Uh, I'm not going to go out and say that he reached the ceiling yet, but we need to see something this year. Yeah, and I think for me, I'm probably still, I guess I wouldn't say Nick is down on him, but I'm still very high on Slayton. I think that ultimately what it comes down to is we still saw some moments of what Nick just said, like those over-the-shoulder catches that he made to really poorly thrown balls where he did just to show off great body control. But what Nick's saying is true. There are a lot of receipts, to, I'm sorry, traits to playing the receiver position that Slayton hasn't necessarily mastered or shown. Strength and ability to create separation off the line of scrimmage was more apparent in year one than year two. Now, the question I have to ask myself is, how much of a better fit was he for Pat Shermer's system and Jason Garrett? But the bigger question is, there were rumors surfacing that Slayton had an early season injury that he tried to play through. Was that impacting his play? Because we've had seasons where a player is just totally impacted by his injury. And his plays through it, guts it out. He's a tough guy. He's got great work ethic, and he's a great character player from everything we've seen. But is he playing through injury the whole year? Because then maybe he's not the same player he was. So I remain really high on Slayton. I would say the ceiling, because you asked what's his ceiling, for me would still be... I still feel really confident he can be, at worst, the number two for this team. I really do like Slayton's game. But obviously, he's going to have to continue to work at his craft, stay healthy, and he's going to have to adjust to the system that's given to him because for at least 2021, it will be Garrett's system again. Yeah, and I think that's fair. I, I like him, too, as a number two receiver. It's But number one, that's just too rich for me. Mm-hmm. And then Garrett used him a lot more in the slot. He had 114 slot snaps compared to 22 in Pat Shermer's. And obviously his touchdowns were, what, eight? I had the stats in front of me, 2019, three in 2020, but the receptions and the yards were pretty comparable. But that injury that you alluded to, that could be something that was playing into it. But he also had a case of the dropsies. He doubled his drops in 2020. He has to hold on to the football. And let's just hope that he kind of breaks out of what seems like, well, at least hopefully, was a sophomore slump. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, that's all the time we have for questions tonight. There are a few more questions you guys left on the reviews. By the way, those were all delivered on the iTunes reviews. If you leave us an iTunes review and you give us a rating of five stars, which we'll never know, but actually we will know. If you give us a five-star rating, you review the podcast, you download, you subscribe to it, you follow us on NY Big Blue Banter on Instagram. Follow us on NY Big Blue Banter on Instagram because we're getting a whole lot more active there. We have multiple posts per day now on Instagram and NY Blue Banter. Do all those things, and we promise we'll answer any question you drop in those iTunes reviews. Might not do it right away, but we will get to it. There's been some a lot of talk about on these recent podcasts. So stay tuned. Keep it locked and loaded. Have a great rest of your week. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com